Hello, and welcome to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, college professor, PhD student, and true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or is associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my very own serious crime scale with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a three. I know, I know, you're probably thinking, isn't she about to tell us about the biggest college admission scandal in American history, and she's only rating it a three? Well, yes, because there isn't any murder or assault, or physical attack involved. To be honest, nobody got hurt in the traditional sense of the word, and yes, I'm putting air quotes around hurt. So let me take this opportunity to explain the criteria that I base my serious crime scale on. So five equals murder, period. If there is any type of murder involved, I automatically rate it a five. Four equals missing or physically hurt or brutally assaulted in some way. And three, well, it's a step below that. It involves breaking the law in some way, but it does not include any type of physical altercation necessarily. It does, however, recognize the emotional turmoil, mental anguish, and really overall impact the story has on tons of people. Not to mention the ripple effect this particular story had on higher education in general. And two and one, well, when we get to those, they, you'll see, are much less serious, perhaps, like I said, even a little humorous on some level. So there you have it. This episode is officially rated a three. And now that we have that established, I want to start this episode off with a riddle. What do an heiress of the Hot Pockets empire, a Hallmark star, and a former actress from Desperate Housewives all have in common? The answer? They are all super affluent people who paid one man to get their kids into college through a scheme called the Side Door. Therefore, this episode is appropriately titled The Side Door. So without further ado, let's get started. On March 5, 2019, the Boston-based FBI office announced charges against 50 people involved in the largest college admissions scandal in the United States to ever be prosecuted by the Department of Justice. Included in those people were Michelle Genaves, the daughter of the founder of Hot Pockets, which literally kept me alive during my college years because I would buy those things in bulk. It also included Hallmark star and Full House and Fuller House star Lori Laughlin and her husband Massimo Giannoli. Yeah, the guy who founded the Massimo brand that could be found at Targets everywhere in the early 2000s. And former Desperate Housewives actress Felicity Huffman, who 
as I'm sure most of you know, is married to actor William H. Macy. But he somehow wasn't involved in the shenanigans of his wife. But there are so many more people involved in this story who actually played much larger roles or at the very least just as big of a role as those I just mentioned. Those are just the ones we hear most about because they are the most recognized names and faces in the media. The person who played the biggest role, however, the person behind the entire scheme was William Rick Singer also known as the guy with the little monk hairdo. (laughs) If you've watched the Netflix documentary Operation Varsity Blues, the college admissions scandal, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, this lady on there who they interviewed described Singer's hair like that, comparing it to like a monk haircut. (laughs) And I kind of have to agree with her that she's pretty spot on. (laughs) You can see a picture of Rick Singer on my Instagram if you really want to know what he looks like. Okay, back to the story. But how did this happen? I'm sure you all are wondering. Well, if you're wealthy, it's not uncommon for you to have access to things that the average American doesn't. And because there are so many filthy rich people involved in this scheme, there are tons of rabbit holes you could go down and side stories to keep you researching for days. Trust me, I did it. So to keep it as simple as possible, I'm going to focus on the main story and Singer's scheme and exactly how he pulled it off. But first, I think it's important to give you a little background about Singer, really to just kind of give the whole story a little more context so you can see how he pulled it off. Because after all, he is the main man, the kingpin, if you will, behind this whole scandal. So let me start at the beginning and buckle up kids because it's a doozy of a ride. Rick Singer started off his career as a high school basketball coach in 1986, soon after he graduated from Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. But even though it might have been his passion, he just wasn't very successful at coaching because his temper and competitive nature would get in the way. According to USA Today, Singer was fired from his first job as a coach in Texas in 1987, only a year after he accepted the job. Shortly after, he packed up and moved to California, which is where he was originally from. In California, he coached high school basketball and then college basketball as well for a few years. The Netflix documentary Operation Varsity Blues compared Rick to Bobby Knight, you know, the former Texas Tech basketball coach who was infamous for his temper and angry behavior. According to USA Today, one principal said he fired Singer because he was vulgar and abusive and parents and game spectators worried about the way he acted on the sidelines while coaching with his, quote, feverish sideline antics and abusive manner toward officials, end quote. Singer moved on with his life and eventually found himself acting as an independent college counselor. He even started a college counseling business in 1995 called Future Stars Incorporated, which was a legitimate business and, according to USA Today, specialized in private college counseling for college athletes. He later sold Future Stars, though, because he said that although he enjoyed working with students and mentoring them about the college application process, 
he didn't really like running the business. So after that, for a few years, he went into different call center management jobs. Eventually, though, from my understanding and what I gather, his longtime friend and business associate of 25 years, Joel Margulies, influenced him to get back into independent college counseling. In 2007, Singer launched the Edge College and Career Network Incorporated, which he simply called The Key, the business that would eventually lead him to organizing the admissions scheme. According to USA Today, authorities are unsure of exactly when his legitimate business began going south and Singer started cheating the system, but the first allegation of bribery came in 2008, less than two months after he incorporated the key. In an email to a wealthy client who was trying to get his daughter into Georgetown, I could tell you his name, but you'd definitely not recognize it, so... I'll just say the client was a high-powered executive of a large multinational investment management company. But in that email, Singer wrote, quote, I spoke to my connection at Georgetown and he will work with us. He helped me get two girls in last week, end quote. His connection was the Georgetown tennis coach Gordon Ernst, who was accused of accepting a total of $2.7 million in bribes to help get wealthy students into college whose parents were willing to pay up, even though those students didn't necessarily play tennis. Basically, through Singer's college counseling businesses, he was able to literally study the college admissions process for two decades, and he learned how to cheat the system and take advantage of the process. In 2014, he even wrote two different books that advised students how to get into college. I do think it's important to point out that of the many people who worked with him, those who were part of Singer's legitimate businesses had no idea what he was doing and exactly how far he was going. His friend and business partner, whom I mentioned earlier, Joel Margulies, said, quote, none of the people who were involved in the wholesome side of his business knew anything about the dark side, end quote. So now that we have a little background about Rick Singer, let's get into just how big this college admission scandal was. Through his business, The Key, he also established a nonprofit, which he called the Key Foundation or the Key Worldwide Foundation. And parents would, air quote, donate to the foundation through a college admissions process Singer termed the side door. That donation would really be a payment that Singer would divvy up and split between coaches test takers and or athletic administrators and, of course, himself. But the payments would go through the foundation, so it simply looked like a tax write-off. You see, he would explain to these parents that there are three ways to get accepted to college. And the parents believed him because, after all, he had a reputation of being the best. The first way, he told them, is the front door, where students work their butts off, study hard, apply, and get accepted based on their own merit. This is basically what good, honest rich people do. They go through the front door by hiring the best of the best to help tutor and guide their kids to getting the best score they possibly can on the college admissions test, either the ACT or SAT, and 
they coach them through the process every step of the way. These people are real people, which is actually what Singer started out as. These people can get really expensive, though, so that's why only the richest people can usually afford them. Y'all, these independent college counselors make like $200 to $300 an hour, sometimes anywhere from $500 to $1,500 an hour. Damn, why does independent college counseling suddenly sound better to me than being a professor or a podcaster? Anyway, moving on. The back door, he said, is reserved for those wealthy people who are willing to donate millions of dollars directly to the school. As a result, their child or grandchild or really whomever they want are guaranteed acceptance. This is how rich, not super smart kids sometimes get accepted to elite or Ivy League schools like Harvard. Singer actually told one client that Harvard was asking for an upward of $45 million in donations for these types of bribes. I don't know if this is legitimately true because I don't know anybody with $45 million lying around, and I definitely don't know anybody who got into college that way. And it should be illegal, but it's not. It's actually the school's decision, and technically they can admit whomever they deem appropriate into the university based on their own criteria and standards. These parents, the wealthy parents whom Singer was working with as clients, would pay much less than the backdoor price, and he would convince them that their kids were not smart enough to get into college through the front door. Either their scores weren't high enough, he would say, or they could never donate enough money to the school to actually be accepted through the back door. So, through Singer's scheme, he would essentially offer these parents two options. They could either go the academic route or they could go the athletic route. The first option, the academic route, was the cheaper of the two. It would guarantee high competitive scores on the college admissions test, either the ACT or SAT. This is the option Felicity Huffman chose for her daughter, and according to NPR, she paid Singer $15,000 to inflate the test score. How did Singer pull this off, you ask? He had connections at nearly every step of the test-taking process, as well as some major immoral antics. First, he would tell the parents to instruct their kids to somehow qualify for extended time on the college entrance exams. This means they basically had to be diagnosed with a learning impairment or disability, such as dyslexia or ADD, that would actually merit extra time. But Singer literally told one parent, quote, I also need you to tell your daughter that when she takes a test to not be as, to be stupid, to not be as smart as she is, the goal is to be slow, to not be as bright as she is, all that, so that we show discrepancies, end quote. Yeah, I'll let you ponder that for a minute. When they got the extra time granted, the students would then be able to take the test alone, usually at a location of their choice. And Rick had two specific locations where he would pay people off to bend the rules or turn the other cheek. He had one testing location in Los Angeles and another in Houston, Texas. He would tell them to make up an excuse or reason as to why they needed their kids to take the exam at those specific locations, like... They were out of town for a wedding or traveling to see family. 
And at each of those locations, the students would be able to take the exam with just one proctor. So the only two people in the room while the student was taking the exam would be the student and the proctor. That proctor just happened to be hired by none other than Rick Singer. The main person involved was Mark Rydell, and he was one of the 50 people indicted in the scandal. But Rydell would get paid $10,000 per test to literally sit in the exam with the student as they were taking it. And then once they left, Rydell would change their answers or retake the test entirely. He knew the tests and the ins and outs of the exams so well that he could score basically whatever score the parents paid for. Apparently, it would cost parents a whopping $75,000 for a perfect SAT score of 1600 Felicity Huffman only paid for a score of a 1450 for her daughter, so that's why her $15,000 bill wasn't quite as high. Now, I know what you're thinking, that Rydell must be a genius if he's able to walk in there and make a perfect score, but that's actually not the case. I mean, he was a smart man, but he could only ace these exams because he worked in that industry. He was literally in charge of college entrance exam preparation at IMG Academy, which, according to its website, is the world's most prestigious sports performance and education institution. Their words, not mine. And apparently, Rydell even created the curriculum for the test prep program at IMG. According to Akil Bello, a test prep expert who was interviewed on the Operation Varsity Blues Netflix documentary, he said because of Rydell's job, Rydell should be able to ace those college interest exams because it's literally part of his job description. Bello said, quote, he's an adult who's taking a test designed for 11th graders. Anyone worth their salt in the test preparation industry should be able to do what he did. The question is, would they be willing to do it? End quote. So this brings us to the second option Singer would offer parents. This one was a more aggressive way of cheating the system, and in my opinion, a lot more ballsy, for the lack of a better word, to be honest. This option would go through college athletics, but Singer would target certain types of sports, such as the Stanford sailing team, the Georgetown tennis team, Yale soccer, and USC crew and water polo, among others. This is the option that Lori Laughlin and her husband Massimo chose to get not one, but both of their daughters into the University of Southern California. As I was researching this story, I kept calling it the Aunt Becky option. I know, I'm a little petty. <laughs> anyway, this option would essentially guarantee acceptance into the university through some type of low-profile sport. Sports that are off the radar or you know, that don't seem to get a lot of attention in the world of sports media. For instance, did anybody even know that Stanford had a sailing team? <laughs> and what the heck is a sailing team anyway? Do they just sailboat race in competitions? Do people show up for the meets? Is that what they're called? Do they have meets? See, so many questions, not enough time to go down those rabbit holes. <laughs> like I said, Rick would target these types of sports and According to an article in the New York Times by Mark Tracy and Billy Witts, quote, admissions officials usually have to take coaches at their word when they tell them that an applicant is worthy of a spot on a volleyball or soccer or sailing team 
leaving them open to exploitation, end quote. Singer, of course, knew this because of his many years of experience in the world of college counseling and admissions. And he would get these kids into college as athletic recruits on these teams, even though the kids didn't have any athletic background at all. For example, Lori Laughlin's daughter posed on an indoor rowing machine. Y'all, they took a picture of her on a freaking rowing machine. They just needed to get her form, really, and her sitting there, and then they majorly photoshopped it to make it look like she was a crew team coxswain. I definitely had to look that up, like what that position was, because I know absolutely nothing about rowing or crew. Apparently, it's the steer person of the boat, so I think it's the person who is like the leader or in charge of the boat for the whole team. So yeah, that's what they photoshopped her to look like. In another instance, Singer bragged to a prominent investment manager that he made a 145-pound kid look like a long snapper. He told the investment manager that he could make his son look like a kicker for a football team. You know, those low-profile positions that have low recruitment numbers. Well, I think, compared to quarterbacks and stuff. Another time, Singer spoke to prominent winemaker Augustin Hunias or Huneas, about getting his daughter into USC through the water polo team. Huneas was somewhat concerned and asked Singer, quote, you understand that my daughter's not worthy to be on that team, end quote. Singer just shrugged him off and replied, quote, no, no, he's my guy and he knows she's not coming to play. He knows all that, end quote. The guy Singer was talking about was USC water polo coach Jovan Vavich. Both Vavich and Huneus were included in the 50 people indicted in the scheme. But that's what Singer would do. He would doctor the photos in Photoshop using simple computer software to make it look like these kids were playing whatever sport he needed them to play to get accepted. At different universities, they could potentially play different sports based on the specific contact that Singer had at the prospective institution. And then Singer would pay off the coach or the athletic administrator or whatever contact he had to fill a recruitment spot, which meant the student would automatically get accepted to the college with little to no questions asked because they were being recruited to the college specifically for that sport. This is often how college athletes who play high-profile sports are admitted to colleges, so If they are good at football or basketball or or whatever, it doesn't matter what their GPA is or what their test score is because they are admitted based on athletics, not necessarily academics. But instead of these kids actually playing the sport they were being recruited for, they faked it and still got in because the coach or administrator was paid off. Because like I said, admissions officials have to take the coach's word about the recruit and in order to sell it, all they had to do were fake pictures that looked like the student was actually playing or doing the sport. But other than that, that's it. That's how they would get these students in because once the coach was paid off to fill the empty spot, nobody else knew about it or asked any questions. But that's what is so sad because to me, what happens to those potential recruits who actually did play the sport? Some poor girl who really wanted to go to college and be on the sailing team or the soccer team or whatever sporting team couldn't because this fake athlete took that empty spot because their parents were rich enough to bribe a few people. Once these students were admitted to the universities, the recruit just wouldn't ever show up to practice and that would be that. 
The student would go on attending college with little to no repercussions because the coach that approved their admission was paid off, Singer was paid off, and their too wealthy to know what's good for them parents were content because they got their kid into college at what they think is a basement bargain price. To Lori Laughlin and her husband, that was a whopping total of half a million dollars. Y'all, my whole entire college career, bachelor's, master's, and now this PhD, in which I have attended three different universities, hasn't even totaled $500,000. So bargain my ass. But I guess to them, it was a bargain because Singer would convince them of that. What's sad, and it really is sad, and I really wasn't sure what part of the story to put this in, so I just decided now is as good of a time as any. But you know how Felicity Huffman paid Singer $15,000? Well, technically, I guess she made out a donation check to Singer's front of a nonprofit. But how she did that in exchange of getting her daughter a better score on the SAT? Well, she later found out that her daughter's own scores could have easily gotten her into college on her own. But sly, smooth-talking Rick Singer convinced her otherwise, and she let him. So that's that. From roughly 2011 to February of 2019, Singer was paid about $25 million total from dozens of rich parents across the U.S. and even internationally in some instances. According to Singer himself, he had done over 700 side door schemes and he said, quote, we help the wealthiest families in the U.S. get their kids into school, end quote. So let me tell you how the feds caught this whole scheme. It was actually by pure accident and coincidence. In the Netflix documentary, Singer is portrayed in one scene talking to a parent on the phone. That parent was a little skeptical, asking Singer if he's ever been caught or if this was something they could get away with because he clearly knew it was wrong and they were cheating the system. And Singer just told him, quote, we've been doing this for a long time. The only way someone can catch it is if you guys tell someone, end quote. And that, my friends, is exactly what happened. Someone snitched. Okay, so this is where I would totally like play an ad and keep you guys in suspense before continuing with the story. But I don't have much of those yet. <laughs> Although I could if you guys would subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Anyway, you know, just a thought. I'll go on with the story now. In a completely unrelated incident, a guy named Maury Tobin, a financial executive who, according to the LA Times, lived in a multi-million dollar home in a wealthy community in Los Angeles, was being investigated on a securities charge. Apparently, authorities suspected Tobin as being the ringleader in a massive stock market scam that defrauded investors of millions of dollars. It gets a little complicated and all legal talk from here, but basically in exchange for leniency, Tobin traded information and threw the soccer coach at Yale under the bus. He was like, hey, you might be interested in this other bigger issue that I know about. Tobin said he heard the coach at Yale, Rudy Meredith, was taking bribes to get students into the Ivy League school. So the authorities jumped on this info and eventually reached out to Meredith, who completely cooperated, agreed to be an informant, and dropped Singer's name like a hot tamale. Meredith also was one of the people charged in the scandal. 
He ended up pleading guilty to fraud and conspiracy charges, but for his cooperation, his sentence was reduced. However, that sentencing was delayed and has not yet been set. And according to an article in Us Magazine from this year, he will likely not face any prison time. To me, it's a little murky on what the FBI did exactly after they were tipped off about the scandal. At some point, they ended up wiretapping Rick Singer's conversations because in March 2019, they released hundreds of pages of transcripts, all detailing the extent of Singer's scheme. This means they were following Singer for some time before they actually confronted him. To me, it seems like they were building a case. Those wiretap transcripts are actually what the Netflix documentary is based on. And in that documentary, they actually reenact the transcripts verbatim as if they were an actual movie. It's pretty cool. So I definitely recommend watching it because I've referenced it enough in here. However, after all my research, I still can't figure out exactly how long they wiretapped his conversation. Sources just report that many of the conversations were recorded without Singer or the other party being aware of them. Regardless of how long they had been listening in on Singer's calls, though, we soon find out that Singer began singing, pun intended, like a bird when the FBI confronted him in fall 2018, and he sold out every single person involved, like major snitchage going on with him. So, With Singer's cooperation, the FBI had him start calling up every single person involved, even those minutely involved or those who played small parts in the scandal, such as Stanford sailing coach John Vandemore. I'll come back to him in a bit. So anyway, Rick called everyone up and basically told them his foundation, the key worldwide foundation that they had air quotes made a donation to was being audited. According to an article on E! Online by Natalie Finn, Singer would be on the phone with them and would literally start walking through everything they had done, whether that was pay for inflated scores or doctoring photos. And he'd spell out the story he planned to tell investigators if they were asked about the large sums of money they'd paid him. Most people fell for it. They seemed completely in the dark that anyone might be listening and literally admitted everything they did right over the phone line. The Stanford sailing coach's lawyer, Roger Fisher, was interviewed in the Netflix documentary, and he said in his interview that it's amazing what people will say on the phone when they think no one is listening. He said, quote, historically, white-collar defendants have almost no filter on the phone, end quote. Then the lawyer actually compared the situation to a mob informant. Those criminals, he said, would have known right away that something didn't sound right and Singer was being recorded. A few parents, however, were a little skeptical and said they'd rather discuss the issue in person than over the phone. So Singer still cooperated and just went to their houses, wired and ready to go. Pretty easy peasy for Singer, if you ask me. He did plead guilty to racketeering conspiracy, money laundering conspiracy, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and obstruction of justice. But because of his cooperation with the feds, he won't face sentencing until every single person indicted and charged in the case has been sentenced and those individual cases come to a conclusion. Which, if we know the legal system, it could be years until Singer actually pays for what he did. 
He does face up to 65 years in prison, though. But right now, he can likely be seen around town, back in Sacramento, California, where he lives and is currently a free man. In total, the FBI charged 33 parents and a slew of college coaches and administrators in the scandal. Though the names are not necessarily recognizable, I'm going to list some of the colleges where these people were employed so you can get a feel of exactly how many contacts Singer had. Those include Georgetown University, the University of Southern California, the University of California at Los Angeles, Wake Forest University, and Yale, of course. A few specific people to note include Donna Heinel, the Senior Associate Athletic Director at USC. She was indicted on several charges, including conspiracy to commit racketeering and mail and wire fraud. She pleaded not guilty and will stand trial in October 2021, according to an article in Men's Health magazine. Jovan Vavich, the water polo coach at USC, also pleaded not guilty and awaits trial as well. Many of the parents, however, pleaded guilty and received anywhere from 14 days to seven months in prison. Felicity Huffman received the least amount of prison time. She was sentenced to 14 days, but only ended up actually serving 11 of those days. Aunt Becky, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, Lori Laughlin was sentenced to two months in prison and her husband Massimo was sentenced to five months. I also want to circle back around to the Stanford sailing coach, John Vandemore. He was the only one involved in this who pleaded guilty besides, you know, the Yale coach Rudy Meredith, who was the informant, to not receive any prison time. The reason was because out of all those people, he was the only one who didn't personally benefit from Singer. So the money he received, which he says he didn't even really understand how he received it. Y'all, you just have to. The reason I'm saying like this is because I really do feel bad for the guy. But the money he received, which he says he didn't even really understand how he received it. Singer just kind of sent the sailing team a check for a bribe Vandemore apparently knew nothing about. But anyway, he put the money back into the sailing program instead of his own pocket. So he like bought them new uniforms and sails and stuff. But everyone else, they benefited and gave themselves a hefty payday. So the judge gave Vandemore two years of supervised release. I want to end this episode with, I guess, a little reflection. Because as somebody whose career is literally in higher education, as a professor, yes. But also, that PhD that I'm working on, yeah, I'm getting it in higher education administration. Like, literally, my program is called Higher Education and Student Affairs. So... This episode took a long time for me to sift through and actually write. And I must say, it's been probably one of the most frustrating and just overwhelming episodes I've written so far, simply because it's personal for me and it hits close to home. Okay, it does hit home for me. And so I had to really draw a boundary line between my own personal thoughts about this entire crappy situation and just simply telling the facts of the story because crappy is exactly how it is it's a bunch of rich people problems that the majority of us could never understand because we aren't that kind of rich 
Regardless, I do have to admit that this whole scandal exposed the higher education system for what it is. A bunch of prestige bullshit that's simply that. Bullshit. So I want to take this opportunity to say you can get just as good of an education at nearly any college you go to. And there are tons of options. USC, UCLA, UT, Georgetown, Stanford. Those are just a few of many colleges to choose from. Here are some numbers for you. According to the U.S. Department of Education, there are nearly 4,000 colleges in the country. Let me say that number again. You have 4,000 different schools to choose from. There is literally a college for everybody. So as a college professor, my advice is that it's not about what college do I want to attend. It's about what college is the best fit for me to attend, particularly based on future career goals and aspirations. Trust me, there are tons of colleges out there that provide amazing educational opportunities that I can 100% guarantee you will get in through the front door. Just ask me. I got into not one but three great universities doing the normal college application stuff, and I walked right through the front door of all three. So I want to give them all a shout out real quick. West Texas A&M University, the University of North Texas, and Oklahoma State University. Okay, guys, that brings us to the end of Chronicle 6, but I just want to say Thank you from the bottom of my heart for staying with me and tuning in every other week to my podcast. I truly hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. Bye, y'all. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Big Mad Media. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.